Hi, I'm Renee. And I'm Gio. And this is Listen to Me Podcast, where you get all the greatest in unqualified advice from qualified creatives. Basically, we go through it so that you can discover your true drag persona. That's a good one. <laughs> I like you can find it, you can name it, you can put a wig on it. You can bop it, you can twist yeah. it, you can pull it. <laughs> I I feel like I owe it to our listenership to admit that I bullied Gio into making a drag joke for this episode because I had had nothing to give. I made dinner for the first time since Tuesday tonight and I was just all out of all out of juice. <laughs> I was like I just can't do it. Can I ask what you made? Uh yeah, I made an arguably successful meal um mm-hmm. <laughs> with <laughs> I don't know, it was edible. I ate it. I made chicken breast with like a parmesan and zucchini sort of like crust over the top. Not like a crust mm-hmm. truly because zucchini is like too wet to form a crust. I made mashed potatoes and I made like a side that was sauteed mushrooms with garlic and green beans, like cut up green beans and Swiss chard. Cooking is not so much the problem for me. It's like the time management aspect of it because I had to get it ready before we started recording and before Clay got home. And I'm always like, I have time bitch yeah. you do not have time like no you have to get up and do it so I did it I was ready by like 10 after 5 and I had time to eat it and I didn't inhale it I actually had time to chew my food this weekend I I have like a rotation of special dishes that I make that I don't I won't make for myself and so I made vegetarian burrito bowls Ooh, that, um, that I got this recipe on like so good the only thing I didn't make, in them? black beans yeah. red cabbage I made like a slaw with it yeah, that um good cilantro I just like and a then on the side with it you know what I mean well this was the part two of the meal okay. so I made like a Mexican's like street corn dish like oh, like street good. corn yeah so good it was like dirty what's corn the, or whatever what's the like sweet but like is it just sweet corn like the sweet corn yeah. that you can buy like peaches and cream yeah. corn or whatever kind of yeah so yeah. I used that which I didn't realize but the rub that you put on them is the base is mayonnaise which I never eat I don't ever mm-hmm. buy mayonnaise I don't have it so I went and bought some for it and it has like a bunch of spices in it cilantro and then this like this Mexican cheese called oh my god tia I think it's called katia they were bomb like bomb I wish mm-hmm. I made more than two for each <laughs> you know what I, mean? I was like, I only made two. I was like, I wish I had more of these, but I definitely want to make that again because it was so good. Oh, that's so good. And also, I it's not called dirty corn. I'm thinking of dirty rice, which is something else completely. But that sounds really good. Like casado? I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea. I know that I heard the term somewhere once, and of course, once it's in my head, I'll just repeat it. That just made me think of Dirty Pop, like the NSYNC song. Dirty Pop. <laughs> dirty Pop. <laughs> like, you dirty just glitched rice. when you said it, so it made it even more. <laughs> fuck my internet i'm sorry to everyone listening my i don't know if it's my internet if it's like a conjoined thing i don't know what but the last few episodes my voice has been glitchy my voice that's my (laughs) voice if only the whole my voice (laughs) if only the whole episode i just sounded like i was in auto-tune yeah i would like that a lot um how have you been otherwise are you are you entertaining now and making food and how's the weather there (laughs) inquiring minds want to know today was gloomy i'm not really hosting many people just like one in particular yeah that's about it you know nothing really much not much is really happening in my life it's been pretty like (laughs) low-key yeah that's (laughs) fair i like man my 
butt is finally starting to heal. So I'm trying not to re-injure myself by getting overexcited. I spent some time writing this week because there are two short story anthologies that I'm really interested in submitting to. So I wrote two short stories, Mm -hmm. which is really cool because I never finish anything. (laughs) So that's exciting. And um, I took my dogs to my friend's house to expose them to her children because she has four kids and it's good for my dogs. And I ended up climbing up on her roof to rescue a Frisbee. So I've been really busy. I've been doing Why would you stuff. be the person to do it when you're not like physically hundred percent? I, I feel like we didn't have a discussion about it. We here, I will just explain shocking that you wouldn't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying I have an impulsivity problem? I will bring that to my ADHD assessment at the end of the month. Well, like their kids, I brought two frisbees for the dogs, and her kids were throwing the frisbees for the dogs, which was really sweet. And uh, apologies to my book club who listens and have already heard this story. And one of her kids like immediately roofed one of the Frisbees and it's like the more expensive one. And I was like, oh, I was like, I've just spent so much money on Frisbees in the last like five years because we always lose them in a tree, lose them in a slough, lose them in the bottom of a pond, lose them at the farm, like whatever. Right. So I'm like, I just, I can't, this is like the one Frisbee that I can't let go. So me and my friend, are out there like her oldest kid all of her kids are under 12 which is like amazing that she can can do it with them three of them have ADHD they're so cute though like adorable very sweet children so the oldest one is like mom Gus just roofed like Renee's frisbee like are we gonna call the fire department and my friend is like absolutely not we're not bothering the fire department with this we will get it down so we get this ladder which is like the shortest ladder I've ever seen in my life it's like a four (laughs) foot ladder and we're like trying to get up on this ladder yeah and neither one of us is very (laughs) tall so we can't and so we have this like pool skimmer we were trying to knock it off and finally I'm like you know what Chandra I'm like this is not gonna work like look you have this deck coming off your back door I'm pretty sure if we stick the ladder on the deck I can like climb up on the roof and she's like what and I'm like I just just let me do this like I'm well I'll get the frisbee so it was only like it was just like three inches short so I had to like actually heave myself up onto the roof and then like grab a pool skimmer like from Chandra and then like knock the frisbee off but as I'm like on the roof I hear her daughter go mom if Renee falls off the roof then can we call the fire department and (laughs) Chandra's like no one is calling the fire department and no one is falling off the roof please don't put that into the universe little child yeah exactly (laughs) don't speak that into existence but anyway yeah so that's what's been up with me Well, today we are going to be talking to Davin Sibaran, who is this awesome, inspiring individual that I met. Uh, I met him through my ex because they used to be friends in Edmonton, or Mm -hmm. they're still friends, but that's where they met. And Davin is somebody who I've done work for. He's a client of mine through the Concerned Kids, which is a charity that he works for. And I'll let him talk more about that. He started an initiative called the Drag Academy, which now because of the COVID era, it's an online, like a digital platform for individuals around the world world to learn different aspects of drag. There's drag professors that teach different things when it comes to like wig making, makeup, performance, etc. Branding. It's just an all around, let's say, queer self-starter. <laughs> this is what it's I want to say. It's really cool. Like I love, mm-hmm. we've talked about this before on the show and I just love seeing 
that community support. Like I love seeing like community builders and people who do this kind of thing. And like Davin has put together this organization that like not only gives like queer instructors a platform, but it also creates accessibility for other people who might want to get involved. It kind of removes some barriers to entry. And there's like a scholarship that they do too, which is really cool. Like Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, they do a podcast. Like it's, it's Mm -hmm. awesome. Hello. Hello. We cannot hear you. We have no audio, Devin. I don't know how to use technology too much, and so I'm happy to be here. You're doing Hello. great. <laughs> happy to be here. Thank Hi, you Devin. So much for being hello. On. hello, 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 hello. <laughs> it's so nice to see your here. face. You too. Oh my gosh. It's just, I love this. I love this. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on the show. I mean, I know I reached out to you a while back to uh, come and chat with little us, but finally we're making it happen. <laughs> yes. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. It's nice to meet you, Devin. I'm Renee. Nice to meet you too, Renee. Hopefully we'll chat about some really fun stuff today and um, you'll get to learn a little bit more about me. Yes. I'm very looking forward to it. I have so many questions about Drag Academy and we were just talking about grant writing. So if you want to talk about that, we're all yours. Uh, Hey, ask as many questions about grant writing. That's my bread and butter. I could, I could talk about that for like days on end. So please feel free. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I am just, you know, ending my day thinking about going on holidays. And so I am really, really good. I think the last couple of months, the last 18 months have really just disappeared um, underneath Mm -hmm. me. And I can't believe that we are in August of 2021. I think most people with COVID-19 were, a lot of people were bored and, and unengaged or unemployed. But, you know, we were, I was really, really blessed with the Drag Academy and the Concerned Kids and all the amazing things that were happening as a result of you know, this pandemic. I know it's a terrible, terrible situation that we found ourselves in, but it was very advantageous to the organization and also quite advantageous to myself um, in in the last year of just keeping really busy because Mm -hmm. I think I would have shot myself um, had had I not had something to do because I just can't sit idly and and wait for, for this to be over. So I am exhausted, but I am so at the same time excited at all the amazing stuff that we've done and and I'm really looking forward to coming back from my holidays and seeing what amazing things that we can do. You've been busy and you've been partially keeping me employed so I I thank you for that. (laughs) You're brilliant you know I I wouldn't keep you employed if you weren't brilliant. I think you know working with you has been a joy because very rarely do I find someone who intuitively knows exactly what I'm looking for. I think you know my brand down to the Mm. last detail and whenever I ask you for something like the Academy logo you came with something so different but it was exactly what I wanted. It was literally you went into my head and you teased apart everything that I liked and you literally gave me my dream come true. And then when you did that peacock logo, I again Mm. was ecstatic by your brilliance. And so you kept (laughs) yourself employed, my friend, not me. You're brilliant. You are a visionary, you're creative, and you um, you get me. And that, I think, is so important in forming these relationships on a long-term basis. 
Thank you Kevin, so much. I'm literally, my face is getting warm. Usually <laughs> when you. we have guests on, we like, we'll take some time. We like call it blowing smoke up people's ass, but really we're just like extolling their virtues as creatives because we are so honored to have guests like yourself who are so great and creative, but you just like stole that moment from us. So now Gio's <laughs> going to have to like put that harp music <laughs> underneath what you're saying in the post-production. You know, <laughs> I, I think what it is for me is my creativity is, is limited. I am not the most artistic person. I, I really am not, but I'm very good at it's bringing talented people together. And to me, that is the greatest skill that I have, which is finding brilliant people and tapping into what makes them happy and then mm. turning it into a very successful project. And that is something that I've seen throughout my work, throughout my entire career. I have limited talent when it comes to actually painting a picture or setting down a therapy, a therapeutic session with a client, but I'm far more skilled at finding the right people who can bring my vision to life. And I, you know, I, I hope that I'm a good employer and a good boss for the most part. And I encourage my team to, to be really creative as well. And, and I, I hopefully inspire a culture where people can be themselves and thrive in, in an environment where they, they really feel that they can contribute and succeed. And so, you know, I am, I'm just a conduit for great artists to showcase their brilliant work. And, and that's, all I do, I, I'm just that guy in the back that's producing stuff and, and I get some credit once in a while and, and that's perfectly fine. I still think that fits the bill though. Like we have yeah. talked to people on the show who, yeah, they like downplay their own creativity and they talk about how they're kind of more, you know, about connecting and providing opportunities. And I think that's huge. I think that it's, you cannot understate the impact that that has, right? Because mm -hmm. like, creatives and people who do visual art or like writers like myself, like we're not always great at leveraging our own skills and we're not always great at, see at seeing sort of like the importance and also the opportunity that comes from connecting with our fellow creatives and people like you are the people who kind of like fill in those gaps and like bring us to those opportunities, which are so incredible and, and can have such a huge impact on creatives careers. Well, thank you. I, 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 it's a partnership, right? It really yeah. is a partnership between us and you. And hopefully we both make money in the end. And, <laughs> you know, it, it's all worth it. Um, mm -hmm. And we make a lot of change and we change a lot of lives and all that other great stuff that we hope to do. But, but I completely agree with you. Like we, we need each other and there's a yeah. space. And, and I think this is my work in drag as well is I'm not a performer. I'm a little bit too old to be performing. And so what I do oh. is I, I have created, <laughs> oh, I don't know if I could do a drop, uh, you know, a death drop. <laughs> death drop. Hey, I'm there are all types. I would literally break my back. Um, <laughs> and so I think what I've learned is I've developed a, a space for myself and the things that I love. And whether it's in my work or whether it is in my passion projects, I always try to make sure that these spaces are a space that I can thrive. And I find that I thrive by again, bringing people together. And so I consider myself more of an event producer or mm -hmm. a producer of artistic endeavors more than, you know, that artist creating it. And I think the creative part that I really gravitate towards is in the production of a great event. And so what mm -hmm. kinds of things happen? What is the sequence of events? Who's highlighting a show? Who, who, what's the talent? What's the marketing going to look like? And those are the things that bring me the, 
the thrill and the joy at the planning of the events and the securing yeah. of the talent and bringing people together. And so, you know, it, it's really a partnership between producers and, and artists and, and hopefully we all thrive. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Tell our listeners a little bit about sort of like what you're doing now, like who, are, what are the organizations you're working with and what are you doing there? Perfect. So, you know, I think a little bit about me is I consider myself an entrepreneur first and foremost. I, I love business and I never thought that I would be one of these people that talks about loving the, the world of business. And so as an entrepreneur, I consider myself a person who has been able to leverage my love of art and my experiences to create something that really works well for me. I'm also a leadership consultant. I go and I teach people about being persuasive leaders and how to run great organizations and how not to be racist and assholes. I I love doing that sort of leadership work. Important, important. Um, As mentioned, I produce great events and I think think they're great. Um, But again, It's events that are often for communities that are often underrepresented. And so again, having a social purpose to what I do. And I also consider myself really a left-wing advocate. I like to take on causes that people often will shy away from. And I really do believe, you know, try not to to steal from Rue, but I I am charismatic and unique. I have that nerve and that talent because (laughs) I think, you know, for me, I am not one to shy away from the the work that needs to be done. And I really believe in the work that I do. And so right now I am running the Concerned Kids Charity of Toronto, which is a fantastic children's charity where we are tasked with changing the world one child at a time, addressing bullying really from a multi-dimensional art based immersive sort of lens for us we believe that bullying is sort of like the mythological hydra this monster with many heads and for us you know bullying presents itself like racism homophobia transphobia ageism and for us we really would love to give kids the tools and build that like um, artillery so that they can address these difficult social issues because we believe that you know not only the perpetrator but the victims of bullying whatever form they may be are all people that are hurt and so our job really is to try to fix those that are hurt give tools to kids so that instead of lashing out and being an asshole on the playground because kids can be assholes too, Mm -hmm. um, that they can maybe write a poem and inspire them to go into writing or draw a picture because at the heart of it we really believe that bullies are some really hurt kids and so if you can help those hurt kids then we can really change a world donald trump one of the biggest bullies in the world was a hurt child did not have a great relationship you know i'm assuming things but Uh, he didn't have the greatest relationship with you know family friends etc etc And if we can find those kids that um, are having those troubles or those issues and we can give them some more creative tools to like circumvent some of that anger into a really creative space, then we've done our job. And I think we'll make a much better world where boys are okay hugging other boys and girls are okay writing a slam poem where where they can just express themselves and, and just tell us how they're feeling. Because once that's out there, you know, I think we are all more empathetic. We can all lead better. We can all just change the world one little kid at a time. Yeah, that's what I do. That's what I do on the day. A lot of the projects that you 
produce the events that you put your name to the that you bring into the world they've always been and I mean I've never attended because I'm I'm here and you know you're there and obviously before COVID but it just seems like it's always around the idea of togetherness and fun the way your approaches and the way you describe what you're doing, who you're working with, who you decide to bring into the projects, it always seems very joyful. And to me, that is something that we need more of. <laughs> Once we start to go out into the world and things become open again, we need more of that. So it's great that that's, and you bring that, and even working with you, like, it's just so, it's just easy. It's just so easy. <laughs> so I can imagine what it's like, what your team is like and what they, how they find it is that you are to work with. You know, I think joy is the key word that you said. I think for each and every single one of us, we we love what we do. It's, it's such joyful work. Um, I get paid every day to play with kids. Um, like I get to paint with kids. I get to hear their stories. I get to see their snot running down their faces because they're so ecstatic. <laughs> it's something that we're doing. I get to see them. You know, I see little girls trying things that they would never do. I see little boys doing art practices that are not traditionally like you know male and it's just beautiful that we get to live in that world every single day and during COVID when so many children were experiencing social isolation we were still connecting them and we were able to be on a zoom call several times a week with 20 kids who are being rambunctious because they were able to turn their cameras on and their take their cameras off their their zooms off mute and so that very small act of, hey, talk to each other was transformative for these kids who were used to being in a school setting where they could talk all the time. And so joy is really at the foundation of what we do. And I think in that joyful work, you know, a lot of my work has also been experienced, has been brought about from outrage as well. I think for me, I have seen a lot of social inequities and injustices around the world. I've seen that through my work that spanned two decades in the nonprofit sector, whether it's, you know, a, a community in Northern Alberta that doesn't have paved roads, like we're in Canada, yeah, or, or whether water. it, or water, whether it is sex workers in downtown Toronto who don't have access to basic health care, or whether it is families who can't afford food. I've seen it all. You know, I've also had the privilege of being quite diverse and having my intersectionalities. And I, I call it a privilege because I'm able to experience many different unique experiences. And so I've seen how I have experienced life in contrast to others. I've also witnessed situations where people have co-opted art forms that are not really theirs. And so for me, there's also this urgency and authenticity in the artwork that we do. For instance, you'll never see me doing an Indigenous program, but I'll certainly produce one yeah. with many Indigenous artists behind it. But I'm the guy in the back, you know, the the queer world, the, the kiki ball scene, that, that ballroom scene that happens. I'm not the person to do that because I'm not a Black member of the community. And so for us, authenticity is so very important in the work that we do as well. For me, what's really important is what I think my work is, is this ability to change. And I reflect on a really important quote that's really governed my entire life, which is Mahatma Gandhi saying, be the change that you want to see in the world. And so for me, having many doors closed because of X, Y, and Z, no one giving me a stage, you know, I've had to create my own stages. I've had to create my own platforms because nobody else was going to do it. And if I waited, 
my prime would have been over and that idea would have moved on. And so, you know, I reflect on crazy things that I've done, like in Edmonton, no one would give my group of friends the stage so that we could raise money for charities. And so what did we do? We created our own stage. And in a span of three months, we literally changed the entire drag community in Edmonton, one that was very segmented into a pageant stream and a more pop style drag, which people stayed separate stages, but then we came along we're like, you know, that's nonsensical. Like people should be performing. It's about the art form. And then we just created our stages. And luckily early on in my career, I was very successful at those stages. And so it's just taught me that if I want something, I just have to do it myself. And luckily, you know, I have the capacity to get money easily and fundraise and inspire those to believe in my crazy, wacky ideas, because everything that I do, I hope is from a place of authenticity and really paying tribute to the community that I'm trying to serve or respect or do something creative within the parameters of what is appropriate. And so, you know, I, I, I do many events, but I think my entire team were so thoughtful and how we yeah. go about doing that events because there's certain platform that are, are issues or voices or stories that are just not ours to tell. So what sparked that initially, like that initiative that you take? Like, where does that come from? I think what it come, where it really comes from is from a firm commitment and diversity and equity and inclusion and really living those principles. I think I was in the inaugural diversity and inclusion class at U of T 20 years ago. Like I was doing this work before it was a tagline and popular statement. Oh, we need to hop onto this bandwagon. It's how I live my life. And so Mm -hmm. when every aspect of everything, everything that I do, breathe, eat, the way that I do my HR, the way that I run programs and my staffing, it's all with this lens of equity and um, understanding that life hasn't been fair for everybody and we need to elevate voices in order to hear all of those beautiful experiences that have been out there and to give people an opportunity so they can thrive as well and so I think that's really where my my work comes from is equity and diversity is important I think for me personally I have had doors closed I have had instances where I've been paid less because of whatever reason than others. I've had jobs taken away and sponsorships not done for a multitude of reasons that have been given to me. But sometimes I think it really boils down to preference for somebody else. And so I think that's where it also comes from is that I've experienced these things. And so I I have to be the change. I, I can't allow a system to continue if I have the ability to change it. And I think that is a responsibility that anyone in management has is that if we can change small parts of the work that we do and change the culture of our organization, hopefully people can adopt that and change, you know, sectorally the way people approach this type of work and, and hopefully adopt in the way that they, they live their lives authentically. I don't speak for Davin. I just want to say that, but white people need to do that. White people need to do this work, like not just people of color and not just queer people of color, because I think queer people of color have always been at the forefront of change and they've always pushed and they've always seen the inequity that exists. And there are just so many white people who just close their eyes to it and it's just not acceptable. 
<laughs> Agreed. And you know, there's always a great space for allyship. You know, and we talk a lot about allyship and why allyship is so important in the work that we do. And, you know, I've had situations where people have talked about this notion of allyship in the sense of we will do this for this community. And I'm like, that's not what allyship mm-hmm. is. Allyship is I will create the space for you to be able to do this work yeah. and I'm here to support you. And, you know, for me, when I use the word allyship, I really believe that um, one of the key projects that we're working on right now for black history month is this, um, this project that we're calling black because it is exactly what it is. It's about black artists coming together. We're working with four other groups and we are showcasing black artists, the mm-hmm. importance of the various uh, types of art form that they're bringing. And so for the next couple of months, we're running a very large campaign to do almost like a full day art gallery party sort of an event where again, driven by the black artists that we're working with, because again, I'm not that person to say, this is what should happen at an event geared to that community. I am just here to, you know, how much money do you need? We (laughs) will help you to fund that. Um, We will provide you with the infrastructure because it's important that Black children see Black artists and see Black art forms and can celebrate that work using our platform because it's really important. And again, we'll do that with Indigenous groups. We do it with LGBT groups because it's, tough not seeing yourself represented and I think again one of the things that I had growing up was this lack of that representation I never saw myself on television in a school book the big comfy couch she would hold that mirror up every single week and ignore me and my sister and most Mm -hmm. of my family who have ethnic racialized names and so when you're not seen you just feel unimportant and the work that we do is really making kids see themselves as artists who can pursue these careers, have success in their careers and that, you know, they can, they can really choose art as a way of life. And so again, authenticity and just doing what I would have liked when I was a kid, like, honestly, all of this is for little baby Javin to be like, (laughs) I wish this was around. When I was around, because if I had seen an artist at the front of the room, perhaps I would have approached my career very differently. But again, you know, now we have Priyanka. We didn't have Priyanka 20 years ago. So (laughs) that's true. That's true. I do love that she yells, what's my name? I just love that so much. She does. And, you know, she, she, she tells my story. And I think, yes, you know, we were so lucky to work with Priyanka with the Drag Academy doing a, a masterclass. She came, spoke for two hours in such an engaging conversation of who's the person behind that character and what are yes. the feelings that that person embodies? Like, what is, yeah. what is Priyanka feel like when the makeup, when, who's Mark? Yes. When all the makeup yeah. comes off, like yeah. who does Mark look at in the mirror and, and speak to what drove them there? What were the, the elements that led to their success? And so, yeah. you know, seeing that person and Priyanka, like, tell that story is something that I think was so important. So it was, yes. it's, these are the things that I gravitate more towards is, is really that storytelling piece and giving people a chance to just like, hey, let me tell you what I'm doing. People center themselves when they come to allyship. And it's like, I've seen some talk online about sort of like, 
this idea of like, how can I be a co-conspirator? How can I be a collaborator? Like, what can I do to lift you up? You know what I mean? And then step back. Cause it's not about me. And I just like, yeah, we've spoken to so many creatives um, of color on our show who have specifically talked about the issue of representation. And it is so, so crucial because not only is it about, you know, like seeing what opportunity is available to you, but it's also about sort of like seeing somebody else kind of go through the hardships and come out the other side and, and kind of do the things that are important or that, like you said, you, like, you're not even sure it's possible, but you see somebody else and you're like, yeah, that could be me. Like that is huge for kids. I think it has such a huge formative impact and, and for adults too. You're absolutely right. And I think what joy, what brings me joy is I have a board and a management team that embodies those ideas as well. They don't think I'm this hippie from left field who wants to hug everyone. They yeah. they truly believe in the notion of equity. And again, my board, I would say predominantly white men, but they are allies. They yes. are supporters and funders and they talk the talk and they show up to board meetings and they support me in a lot of and all of the initiatives that I put forward because they they understand the importance of that voice um but I think reflecting on the work that I've done has got me to a place where I'm in a position as well where I'm able to create those opportunities and with Drag Academy as well being born out of this desire or a need or you know in 2020 I COVID-19 and there were hundreds of performers out of work, it was really important that we created space where artists can thrive. And specifically with that and that lens to equity and making sure that we were uplifting BIPOC artists as well. There is a responsibility on those who've made it to pave the way for those who are still making it. Um, And so I, I just think this is me paying it forward. There have been a lot of people who've championed for me to get here, a lot of white faces who have championed for me to get here. And I am grateful to those faces and those people who supported me in my career. And it's my responsibility to to do the same for others. It's, it's just the human thing to do is just giving opportunities where we can. And, and again, living in a place of authenticity when we say that. It's not just saying, hey, we're going to do this for show. It's in everything that we do, there's that authentic piece of we're, we're doing this for community. It's it's not about me. Yeah. I mean, and I always say this on the show, like a rising tide lifts all boats. But when you talk about diversity, like people need to understand that there is sort of like a tokenism to just being like, okay, we're going to involve like these people and it's going to be great. Like for a lot of communities who have been like historically marginalized the infrastructure underneath like mm-hmm. okay I can say a rising tide lifts all boat boats but if your boat has been you know chewed on by sharks for 50 years or whatever like I'm I know I'm extending this metaphor but there needs to be recognition of that and so that authentic intention needs to be there and there needs to be thoughtfulness and there needs to be compassion right and I, I just think that's just so crucial it's just crucial work so I just am so glad that you came to talk to us about it today Davin. Well, I'm so glad that you brought up this idea of, of true allyship and this notion because, you know, when a person of color says like, hey, allyship isn't always this this great thing, it, it comes across as like, oh, 
they're complaining again. No. Um, but I think you've articulated it well as well. Um, I think you're, you're absolutely right where this notion of allyship isn't about co-opting and collaboration isn't always collaboration. Collaboration sometimes just means stepping back and letting that group really take the lead because it is their space. And so I'm a a, a firm believer in that stuff. Um, This this past season, we at the Drag Academy were able to support some really great initiatives through a art award that we established. um, And the art award was specifically for BIPOC UT artists um, living in Peel primarily because again underrepresented region right um, they were also the funder and so um, what we we mm-hmm. did was we supported several key projects that came out of this um, one of them being we we're doing like a visual album Beyonce style and so I was like whoa that sounds kind of fun and so that is cool this local artist is turning, you know, is, is writing three original songs and will compose some amazing stuff. Then we're supporting another artist who is putting together um, a documentary on the third gender from India, the Hijaraz. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're also supporting some really amazing stuff across the country. We're looking at supporting, um, you know, this drag kings across Canada competition because one of the things that we found is that there's completely an absence of things for for that component of our community. Mm-hmm. And so when there are no programs and no competitions and no visibility for drag kings, then naturally we have to step up and do it. Um, you know, we're doing a pageant, we're doing lip sync competitions, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we get to do really, really fun things while, again, engaging lots of artists and making sure that they get to help us in this planning process. Because for us, part of our outcome is also the number of people we get employed in our projects. And yes. so when that's one of our outcomes and the metrics that we're working towards, then we're trying to engage as many people as possible in any of the projects that we're working with. So exciting times exciting times <laughs> you have like a fan club at this point like there must be like some sort of like davin p.o box <laughs> where people just send you letters <laughs> I, I don't i don't as i said you know i i like to be in the background i am not a front stage person anymore um in my, <laughs> i was gonna say i don't know <laughs> my 30s i was perfectly fine being on the stage and you know, trying to do a, a back flip, I guess, like <laughs> failing at it. But I think now what I've found is my, like the purpose of my work is to impact change, right? And so if I can impact change in the background, I've done my piece. I don't need, mm-hmm. I don't need to be in the front. I don't need to, you know, have that spotlight on me because there's great people doing great things. I'm just, doing my job I'm acting as a conduit you know doing God's work that left-wing God (laughs) (laughs) that non-denominational being (laughs) yes that pulls me towards the left absolutely yeah I think what I'm just trying to say is you must have so much positive feedback from the people that you affect through the work that you do is what I'm getting at you know what I mean like I work with you directly so maybe I'm getting a different perspective of like what it is to work with you because if you're saying you're behind the scenes if you're involved with these programs and all of these or like organizations, these events, and there are pe- obviously people know that you are involved, like there must be so much 
positive feedback that you're getting from people being like, thank you for doing this? I don't really pay attention to the thank yous. Um, and that's awful for me to say because that's not really why I'm doing this. And so I don't wait mm -hmm. for the thank you. I'm terribly ambitious. And so what's most important to me is that my funders <laughs> love what I do. Yeah. Um, and I fulfilled on my obligations to those who funded a project, my stakeholders. And so that's where the business comes in for me. I, I keep this very business. Um, I'm able to interject humor and comedy and artisticness and my personality into my, my way of doing my work. But I think it's still business at the end of the day. Um, and people do express joy around me. They're often happy. And I think it's, it's difficult not to be happy when you're painting faces and you're <laughs> planning a, a drag pageant. It's difficult not to smile when you're doing that kind of stuff. And and I think people are very appreciative for opportunities that you give them. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to be in that space, but it's their accolade. Like I, I, it's not my accolade to, to take credit for their hard work and their performance. I, I'm just a conduit. I think that that's really what I see myself as, is just that middle person from talent and an audience. And just how do you get that audience to, to, to experience that talent? And, that's where I come in. And so once that's done, you know, charity gets some money, some, some artists get to showcase their work, happy audience. And I think that's when I go home and I'm like, yeah, next project. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I really don't stick around for the, for the thank yous. I, is that weird? No. Miss Modesty over here. <laughs> <laughs> it's not weird, but I'm going to like argue with you again that you're not a creative person because I think that it does mm -hmm. take creativity to kind of like look at, again, you're kind of looking at like point A and point B and you're not getting caught up in the weeds. You're looking at the overarching picture and you're going, okay, how do I, oh no, my dogs are going to lose their minds. Somebody just, <laughs> sorry. But what I was going to say is that you're not caught up in the weeds of the problem, right? Like you're not looking so much at the details as you are kind of the overarching picture and going like, okay, so how do we, how do we do this? And what I'm really interested to hear about from you, Davin, is like how you looked at a situation like COVID and then you had sort of like the drag academy happening at the same time and you went, okay, how am I going to leverage what I have in order to like materialize what I want to see like how is this going to happen for me like how did that come together for you joyfully honestly <laughs> it that. was just joy it was absolute joy in in having this project come together and so you know I am lucky to know many performers in in Toronto um many have performed at my my shows and I've maintained good relationships with with all of them and so as COVID persisted we were looking at different ways um, of engaging these artists um, through the Concerned Kids. And so they were doing things like painting and story writing, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But then COVID persisted. And now my friends are telling me I'm not making any income. I'm not yeah. performing. I miss the stage. But, and it was more, I miss the art form and I miss interacting with people. Like the community. We were completely isolated in that time every community was isolated especially for the two slgbt communities in mississauga brampton outskirt communities of the gta they couldn't even travel yep. to a safe spot and so we thought like how could we bring our very successful programming that we were doing at the concerned kids so at the concerned kids we've pivoted all of our programs to a virtual format 
And so we were like, how do we take a virtual format program and incorporate drag? And so again, going back to myself, um, I'm, I love RuPaul's Drag Race, I love all things drag. I think <laughs> drag is one of the most important art forms in the queer community. It was born in our community. It was a artistic form of defiance. Um, it has great history. And so we wanted to play respect to that. And so, you know, what is the thing that all drag babies would love to do is <laughs> learn how to do drag. Yeah. And so it was something so simple as let's just teach people how to do what these artists do really well. And so I reached out to a dear friend, Trevor, who known as Seance in the, in the drag world and Seance literally reached out to nine people and we had our first curriculum put together, teaching people the aspects of drag from applying makeup to hair, costuming, contouring your body, drag queen, drag king, creatures. And then we thought, you know, the look is one thing, but then we had to also teach people about comedy and poise mm -hmm. and making stage presence because we wanted to see that performer as a whole. And in 2020, we were very lucky to have received some funding through the Community One Foundation, which then really just pushed us into making a really great program. We've been subsequently funded through the region of Peel, the United Way, Government of Canada, um, Community Foundation of Mississauga, and now again, Community One Foundation. So Amazing. a lot of funders love this idea. And what's astonishing is that nobody else ever thought to do this. Yeah. No one in the entire world thought that there was a business in teaching people how to put drag makeup on, even though there are hundreds of YouTube videos no one yeah. thought there was a way to monetize that. And here we came being able to monetize that, being able to have 750 paid customers in six months really indicates to wow. us that yeah, there's there a are market. a lot of people that want to do this. And <laughs> what a time to be a bedroom queen. What a time it was. <laughs> and we were getting people from Australia, from South America, like, you know, Brazil, Guyana. I think we had someone from Colombia. So because it was online and they can come in from anywhere in the world. We yes. had like, we had kids in the Netherlands who came to our drag queen class. It was like three in the morning and they were applying face. And I so, you know, it was really about bringing our community together. And that was the beauty behind the first iteration of what we did. And so then we thought, Hey, like this worked, let's try some more things. And then we thought of the individual as a whole. Mm -hmm. understanding that the artist needs more than just the art. And so we developed an entire stream around mental health and wellness where we talked about, you know, we had like a four-part mental health series talking about boundaries and oh yeah, use of alcohol and how yes. that's so prevalent in the drag community and how do we stay healthy and how do we stay well and how do we negotiate well for ourselves. I mean, we also thought that, hey, let's, let's train folks had to do some business stuff and so how do you register yourself as a business and how yeah. do you monetize your name um and how do you negotiate better for yourself um and classes also looked at how do you stay fit and healthy during covid like we had dance classes and <laughs> and exercise like live exercise That's classes amazing. where people would learn routines and so it was crazy ridiculous things but we always had people coming in because 
Yeah. It really was unique. And again, we approached artists and said to them, here's a spot for you. Tell us what you want to do. And they came, gave us great ideas. And here we are now in our fourth season starting in fall. And we're really thrilled at where we're going and all the amazing things that we're doing. And to think that this project, the Drag Academy, started off as one tiny little project within the Concerned Kids to work with queer artists has now grown to an organization that we're hoping to establish within the next couple of weeks, which will be primarily focused on elevating queer art at a national level. And so a small little idea now has a board of directors of queer artists who are so committed to creating spaces where queer artists can thrive and collaborate and learn about all the things that they need to, to be successful artists. And so, you know, to me, that is the marker of success. I don't need a thank you. I need this organization established and mm -hmm. great artists working. And then that's how I will judge that this has been successful is that the end result is an institution that lasts yes. beyond my, my legacy of it. And so, yes. you know, I think that's, that's what I would love to see this grow into is a, a, a tiny little idea that got support from community and then it grew into something that established itself to something of importance, hopefully for a community. How did this little idea go international? Like, how did it get to that level? Sheer luck, I guess. I, 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 I don't know. I, it, was, it was so joyful when we were getting the registrations from like South Africa and, and you're like, what? Like, who, who's, who are these people? But what I think what it is uh, and how we got there is that our instructors are also the joy for me was is hearing people talk about the Drag Academy as this thing that transformed, saved that some people even said saved me during COVID. And yes, I'm like, no, we didn't yeah. save you. We just gave you we gave you a platform. But I think for us, you know, the academy came about to serve a purpose, which was to employ artists to give them a platform. And we achieved that. And I'm very, very content that we were able to achieve that goal. It has grown into something significant. And it really has grown into something significant and has gotten an international appeal because of the many, many people that have helped us get here. Every single instructor promotes the academy mm -hmm. on their socials, in their like personal life. We are so lucky because the instructors value the academy, it seems, because we value them. Our model is that the academy is nothing more than, again, what I do, a platform. It's just a platform. We invite you to come and speak about your topic. Everything is a masterclass because you are a master. Our founding philosophy is that everyone can teach. Whatever your craft is, there's some aspect that we can help hone those skills to get you to teach. And what's also really important is that everyone succeeds at the academy as well. And so the way that we operate is that the intellectual property remains with the performers. That's mm -hmm. so important because yeah. often their intellectual property is taken away from them. And so we make sure that they maintain their intellectual property. They also earn income with us, but we also have a compensation structure that encourages them to sell as well. So every time they sell a class, 
50% of that class actually goes back to the artist. Mm-hmm. And wow. so they're able to generate income. We, we generate no profit from this. All of the money goes into paying for artists, um, affording us to have those scholarships. Because again, we're a social purpose enterprise. We can't generate income. And so when we sell our classes, 50% goes to the artist and the remainder comes back to the, to the charity so that we can continue to offer scholarships, bring in more artists, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think from the get-go, we created a structure that was really built in being fair um, because we know that often drag performers, the king or queen kings who are so underrepresented and beyond it, it blows my mind that they are, it's like a two-tiered system in, in this performance art world, but really it speaks to privilege and it speaks to gender privilege more than anything else. You know, I think for us, we, we try to balance some of those, those inequities that we see by, by being quite intentional and, and also how we approach who we go after and, and who is on the management team. And so, you know, again, a project that started off as a little idea with an international appeal now has four people working on it on a regular basis. You know, we have a, a king, a queen, and the creature um, as our three, you know, mentors dictating the types of programs that we're having because in order for, for representation to happen, those are the folks that need to make the decision, not like some 40-year-old that watches RuPaul's Drag Race. Like, this is what I think drag is. <laughs> Clearly, I'm not the expert. It, it's, it's the folks that are spending three hours gluing their eyelashes down and, and putting on their face and putting 110% every time they got on stage. I have nothing but the greatest respect for those artists because they entertain, they allow us to forget all of the horrible things going in the, wrong in the world. Absolutely, They're able to, in their comedy, make commentary on really difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love the, the art form and and again, I don't think there's anything queerer in the world than a man in a dress or a woman in a suit emulating a gender other than their own and just making mockery of these social constructions that exist because that's all drag ever was, was a commentary on, on gender and, and all of the things that we still talk about today. But again, someone back in like, whenever this started, you know, found a creative, innovative way of coming up and saying to the rest of the world, fuck you, when it comes to gender stereotyping, we're going to put together a pageant and show you how ridiculous this is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, I, I, I love the, the advocacy there and I love the story there. And, and most importantly, I love the art form. I think it's such a beautiful art form and I can get lost in that art form from the writers of good comedies to a performer to a pageant queen who shows great poise and to a pageant king who can make me believe if Freddie Mercury's on that stage. And so, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful art form and, and I'm very lucky to have had an opportunity where COVID-19 showed us that queer work could be elevated and artists could be employed and that the legacy of COVID-19 for a lot of these artists is that we're going to have something where queer folks can say this is our home and so you know I, I think that's 
something I'm very excited about um, as a result of COVID-19 and the great work that we've done. And again, all of the amazing people who stood behind me and alongside me and ahead of me in getting this work done. And, you know, people like Gio who come up with brilliant graphics because, you know, you, you understand what we're trying to do and that we're not being safe and that we want to be controversial and we, we want people to look at these things and say, that's really gay because you know what? It's okay. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) I love that. I have one last question for you. We ask this to every one of our guests. I love this question. Davin, you've talked a lot about all the things that you've done in your relatively short career. Like, let's be real. Like, it hasn't been that long. No, I look good. I look good, but I'm old. I'm old. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Proud go proud. Proud go proud. I've never heard that. But if you were to look back at, look at the trajectory of your career and give it a theme, what would it be and why? The idea that that really resonates with me is boundless creativity. Mm -hmm. My creativity has no bounds or no boundaries or parameters. And the reason that I think it's boundless creativity is within this concept of boundless creativity is this notion of not shying away from tough work, right? Mm -hmm. Always Mm -hmm. looking for a challenge. And my career has always been a career where I gravitate towards the most challenging thing that I could find (laughs) and then coming up with ways to fix it. I I love to fix broken things. And so um, I I, I think, you know, there's that. I'm, I'm optimistic, but still a lot of tenacity. You know, optimism is this view that things will work out, but tenacity is... I'm going to make sure it works out because <laughs> yeah. I will, yeah. I'll do everything I can to make it work out. Um, and I would also say risk-taking. I, I don't sit comfortable. I'm not comfortable in comfort. Um, I, I like discomfort. I like the unknown. I like waking up knowing that my day will be exciting because a challenge will have to be fixed. I love, I, I love that. Like, you know, and this is why I think for grant writing for me is just such a beautiful experience because I get to articulate my solution to someone. Yes. So here yes. is a problem. And in my language and my, my command of, of words, I will persuade someone in 200 words, why they need to believe in my philosophy or my point of view. And that's my favorite thing to do. If all the, the jobs that I have and all the tasks that I do, nothing brings me more joy than writing a grant and waiting for that response. I'm lucky because my response rate with COVID-19 was like a hundred percent. Oh my God, Davin. No one said no to anything that I asked for. Um, <laughs> Which was pretty good. Like truth be, truth be told, last year for grants, I brought in three hundred and fifty-four thousand dollars in in wow. grant dollars, um, which was good. Which was good. But that's to me, that's the joy, right? That's the joy in coming up with a creative solution to a mundane problem or a historic problem. Bullying has been around for a really, really, really long time, and now I get to come in and say, hey. We're going to paint some pictures and write some stories and we're going to make kids not be assholes. And <laughs> I get to try something. <laughs> That's my vision for the world. I, I really do believe that if we can 
curb bullying in childhood, then we prevent yeah. adult versions of, of people like the Donald Trumps and Absolutely. The, the, those horrible people. Like if we can just fix bullying in childhood, we can really solve a lot of the world's issues because bullying has just hurt people. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's unhurt them. Heal them instead of unhurt. Yes. <laughs> Give them Heal something them. else to do with their pain other than spread it around. Everybody has write pain. A, write a song. Somebody, yeah. Lady Gaga wrote brilliant songs oh. in depths of her pain. And mm-hmm. so we encourage them to Lady Gaga it out. <laughs> I love that. So, Davin, I just want to thank you again so much mm-hmm. for coming to talk to us. This was amazing. Um, and I want to give you an opportunity to plug whatever you would like to. So where can people find you online where they can connect with your organizations? They can please, please, please follow us online. If you are interested in any of the work that we do with children, it's at Concerned Kids Official. If you want to follow us and learn all the amazing stuff that we're doing at Drag Academy, visit us online at dragacademy.ca. Our fall classes are starting. We have some amazing masterclasses set up for the fall. And so I encourage you to, to check out our classes. And, um, you know, if you have any creative ideas and, and any bound, like, you know, boundless, creative, fun things that you want to do, we're also looking at partnerships and growing great ideas all over this country. And so if you have something great that you want us to be invested in, or, or if you want us to, to throw some funds behind it, you know, get a hold of me. Um, and so my Instagram is at Davin C D A V N S E E. And so I encourage people to just reach out because, you know, we're all in this together. My platform is your platform. And if we can, you know, change the world one kid at a time or help representation in some way, let's, let's do it because it is really our responsibility to get that done. Absolutely. Well said. That was wonderful. I'm so glad that we got to chat with Davin officially. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, the work that he's doing too, like with the Drag Academy is so cool. It's just, it just constantly like, you know, I just, the more people that we talk to, the more it kind of dispels this idea that like, as a creative, you like labor alone and you like work on your art alone because there's so many opportunities when you connect with other creatives. And I mean, like very similar to like, you know, we've had people from the Alexandra um, Center Society for Writers or Writers Center Society. I'm sorry, I always mix it up in Calgary, but they do kind of the same thing, right? Where they like facilitate giving masterclasses and instructors and they're paying writers for instructing. And that kind of stuff is huge because it really does, it, it creates community links and it solidifies, you know, your, what's the word? Like commitment and confidence to what you're doing as well. And I'm sure that that's the experience of the people that Davin has been able to bring into the drag Academy. You know what I mean? Like, because they're being given an opportunity to facilitate something that they've already, they already know, you know what I mean? Through this, like, Mm -hmm. it's a non-traditional route, but it's still validating. It's still legitimizing them, which is so awesome. And I love the fact that I can be part of it in some way, in some (laughs) small way, you know, like that I can involve myself in it. It's just, it's such a cool initiative and I'm excited to see what he will put forth into the universe. (laughs) Yeah. Like what comes next? I know he just, it sounds like, it's like, is he hooked up to like a lithium battery that we couldn't see? Because it just seems like he's just got... (laughs) 
boundless energy. And like, I don't think I've seen anybody looking that fresh coming out of this pandemic. Like I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm inspired, frankly. Speak for yourself. Oh, as I, as I, as I look, as I look at my video camera where I'm like literally touched up by zoom, like (laughs) (laughs) every day I see another wrinkle. Well, thank you for listening to me. And to me. And we want to hear from you. We want to know what you thought about today's topic. Uh, We want to know if you have taken any Drag Academy classes, if you would be willing to teach any Drag Academy classes. Um, You can email us about it at listentomepodcast at gmail.com or you can message us on the socials at listentomepod. And you can also check out our Patreon and the things that we are doing there. We are releasing bonus episodes, blogs that accompany our, our podcast, as well as other fun things. So you can head to <laughs> patreon.com slash listen to me pod to find out more. And as always, music in this episode is provided by audionautics.com. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>